So it's now. Assalamu alaikum ji. Welcome to the PIDE sixth or the fifth seminar webinar on civil service reform. And this by no means will be our last. We will continue to do many more webinars on this important subject, which in most people's views is holding back the development of our country. So this is a, a webinar that is very close to our heart and we'll continue to do it. This is the sixth webinar. We have focused on many subjects before. This time we focus on the provincial civil service, on the provincial versus um, federal civil service, the federal services, and the organizations, on the human resource management of civil service. We've also had a webinar with Ishrat Hussain, who is the minister in charge of civil service reform. Today, I'm very glad to report to you we've got four people, including uh, Dr. Shipti's Sudha Singhe the additional director general of Sri Lanka Institute of Development Administration. So let's find out what the Sri Lankans are doing vis-a-vis -vis civil service reform. Welcome, uh, Sepili. And then we've got Dr. Mohsen Chantana, now Special Secretary, Ministry of Finance, which is a very important position, probably the most important position in the country nowadays, but also has been long time in charge for uh, NIMS in Karachi, which is a, an important civil service training center. Then we've got Dr. Samina Zehra, Director General of NIM Karachi today, a position that Mohsen Chandna held before. Then we've got Dr. Fahim Jahangir, who is now with Paid, but used to be with the training with the NIM in Islamabad, a major training center in Islamabad. I won't take long, I'll quickly go to the panel, but let me just quickly say, civil service reform has been a canker in our side for all our history. We have had 50 commissions and nothing has happened. Quite frankly, Lord Macaulay, and I'd like to hear a Sri Lankan colleague on this, Lord Macaulay was very strong. Lord Macaulay lives on in India. Lord Macaulay keeps uh, his spirit alive. We are still Lord Macaulay's children. We play according to his legal uh, system. We have his civil service. We have everything built by Lord Macaulay, Macaulay or the Brits. Why do we hold colonialism so close to our heart? That's another subject we should discuss some other time. But today, I just want to point out that I think the Sri Lankans, we'll hear from them. Have they graduated from Lord Macaulay or not? We'll hear. The problem is that our governance system is declining all the time. We have PSCs that are bleeding. We have the energy sector that is bleeding. We are bleeding. We are hemorrhaging. And our government refuses to make policy. Everything is done by donors. We won't go into that at length. We have had a series of PAD webinars, and all of them point to the civil service as the major problem. Policy inconsistency, poor policy, bad research, bad thinking, copying donors without thinking. We are in a mess unless we do this reform, unless we develop a civil service that is capable of taking care of itself. Now, very simply, our long-run growth has grown down because our policy-making is bad. Our investment is bad, lowest in the, in the region, 15 or 13 percent of GDP, even lower than Sri Lanka, even lower than India, far lower than India, far lower than China. We are the lowest investment country in the world, and we need, really need to think about that. All this was not something that our ancestor did not see. 1950, there is a cartoon, Pakistan, our Prime Minister Liaquat Ali walking on crutches and donors at the back sitting there saying, hey guys, keep them like this, this is 1950. So please, our ancestors saw it, we still can't see how we are puppets instead of making policy. 
And this is the outcome. Every decade, we've had two or three fund programs. We seem to be in the fund emergency ward, and that should be worrisome, especially to the Ministry of Finance. Why are we in the fund emergency ward? We talked about this in the framework of economic growth, civil services, the central reform, which we still have not been able to do. This is a poor civil servant, current civil servant. His poem, which I should bring to you, which is very important. He says, he says someone asked me what's wrong with the country. I told him my story. I wanted to be a painter. I was asked to be a doctor. I trained for computer science. I took economics and social science, graduated in English literature. I wanted to do nothing. I took one exam. Now I do nothing. Thank you. That's us. Folks, with that, let me just go to Mohsin Channa. Mohsin Sab, can you please tell us, what is this training regime? What are we trying to achieve? What are the objectives? What is the structure of this training? Are you happy? Are you producing the right civil service? Are you giving us quality or not? Please, Mohsin Sab. Sir, the training has improved uh, over a period of time. The, you will be actually surprised if you go to Civil Service Academy now and look at the CVs. And you'll be shocked that how, how many foreign graduates are joining uh, civil service. So the intake is very good. But then you are absolutely right. In Islamabad, I see that why is there so indecision or I would say aversion to, to write anything on paper. In the Ministry of Finance, we have just been given a responsibility, which we said we, we have nothing to do with it. But they said, no, 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 no. And, and end of the day, you have to finance this deficit. So you take over. And we did. So first of all, the intake has improved a lot. And uh, as you said, absolutely right. When I joined Academy in 1988, we were a batch of 110 or 112 of whom 70 were MBBS doctors. And then in 1992 came another batch of which 70% were engineers. So what was happening was that when we, uh, we took the exam, the US visa and the British visa were closed. In 1990, there was a, um, you, sir, you must be knowing you were in Washington, you were in Washington DC that there was there this program when a new residency was started and they started sending doctors, the new immigrant doctors to rural areas to serve five years in backward areas and then they were allowed to move. So bulk of our doctors went and nobody was prepared to take the civil service exam. So what has happened is over a period of time and now we see a lot of MBAs and a lot of economists. So I happened to go to uh, civil service academy to deliver a lecture and I was surprised. But then why I said training has improved because earlier there was no training after you joined, after you passed out from the academy and until you were going to take the advanced course, which was already required for the promotion from 19 to 20. So that was roughly 17, 16 to 18 years of service. So imagine for 16 years, there were a lot of people, a lot of my batchmates, because I was not required to take the mid-career management course. It was introduced later. 
so there were many of my batchmates who never saw the classroom the lecture hall after the, the after graduating from the civil service academy but sir at, at at the same time i must tell you that a lot of civil servants they improved their qualification they developed their professional skills we have dr samina here ma english and then the, she did phd in uh, trade policy so i myself did mba and uh, master in public policy as you know from university of chicago we have quite a lot of people some were brave enough to leave the service as you recommend some were not like me who remained indecisive or who did uh, graduation or phd quite late so this is about the service when we conduct mid career management course you will be actually surprised that even in today's environment there are at least two or three participants who don't have a email account there are at least 10 to 15 participants in every course who don't know how to handle word document or excel so very very pathetic state and but at the same time there are two or three phd's in every course so there is a lot of disparity inequality between the uh, between the uh, skill set of those uh, participants the course participants so obviously what we have to do is we have to come up with a uh, with a module which is for generalists so the training it's good that we are having a training for mid career management course for 14 weeks but the bad and the very the worst thing is that it is too generalistic so that those guys who are high achievers there is nothing for them and they we give them a course which is uh, which is actually not challenging for them i'll give you just one example and then we will ask uh, dr samina to give her comments yesterday i delivered a 90 minutes uh, talk on micro and macro economics 90 minutes of which 50 minutes are for the presentation and 40 minutes are for the question answer and sir can you imagine in 90 minutes i had to talk about the consumer theory the supply and demand the market structure and elasticity and also gdp and nominal and real inflation and business cycle and aggregate demand and aggregate supply and i was laughing that how can you i mean you can just give a slide give a very brief two or three lines and then so why is it compromised because there are people who don't know anything about these things and there are people who know everything But obviously in 90 minutes whatever i'll be sharing they would be knowing it there was nothing new value addition so this is the basic problem with our program that they are too generalistic and there i always at least for me i always recommend that make it more challenging or divide it into smaller groups i remember when i was doing the staff college there was 72 participants and in seventh class of 72 you can't expect that uh, anything meaningful will be delivered so these are my comments thank you sir i i hope i uh, if somebody is offended i i'm sorry mohsin sir thank you no reason to be offended this is an academic seminar we are only here to learn 
So absolutely, nobody is offended. We, I'm glad you made some very candid comments. Before I go to uh, Ms. Uh, Samina, let me just ask um, Dr. Sepali. Dr. Sepali, please tell us, <clears throat> in Sri Lanka, how is the civil service training, or even the state of the civil service, how far has you departed from Lord Macaulay? Or are you still with Lord Macaulay? And is your training as general as Mohsen Sahib said, are you still teaching people how to write English, how to be gentlemen, or is it a little more specialized? And what is the structure of your training? Can you please tell us? Dr. Sepali. Kindly unmute yourself, Dr. Sepali. Thank you very much, first of all, for inviting me for your discussion. Uh, directly to answer to your question. So we also have uh, like, uh, actually, if I talked about this leader training, uh, so time to time we change according to the need of the country. So even now we have a new model uh, at the designing stage to introduce, but in general, so our model of training at SLIDA is basically based on uh, consider, we consider different aspects. Uh, so we have different groups for mandatory training and we have groups for ongoing training on request and also uh, we, uh, I mean, we provide training uh, courses on current topic. And third is, apart from training, we have masters. It's not training. So masters uh, program, uh, that's a master of public management program, which will cater to the mandatory requirement of the civil servants. So we have six all, I mean, the all island services. So SLIDA at present, we only serve for the executives in the country. So we do not uh, bring the non-executives for our training programs. So for that, there is another training institute and there are other training institutes, uh, I mean, which are responsible for them. So for these executives, we have three categories, four categories actually, the inductees, that is the induction training. So the class, the next level is the class three level, class two, class one, and the special grade. So that is the top level. So for those categories, so at present, what we are doing is we have a model developed to bring them to a specialist stage. So that means, because let's say for an example, this model we differentiate for uh, service to service. For an example, let's say if it is for the administrative service, considering their service requirements, considering their service minute, because it says they have to be policy implementers and they should be in a position to advise in formulating policies. So considering that training requirement, for the, executive, uh, for the inductees, we have the basic training and that and class 
three and class two level, majority of them are policy implementers. So therefore, it's basically more on policy implementation related programs. I'm, I'm overviewing this. And for the class one and the special grade, that is for policy making to facilitate policy making. So therefore, but it's very difficult as the previous presenter said, because when it's come for the induction level, they all we recruit from a competitive exam. So sometimes we have a group of people uh, where they are even they have completed their masters. Not actually, I didn't find any, uh, I mean, the candidate, uh, any inductive with PhDs, but most of them have completed by that time the, their masters as well. So we have a challenge how to differentiate this training from their master's knowledge base. I mean, the, because they have already acquired the master's level. So what we do is for the inductees, we basically give them the, because they are really new to the program. So we really help them to get aware of the day-to-day, -day, I mean, the public service practices, plus we attach them to different uh, public institutes at divisional level, district level, I mean, the grassroots level to meet the people, giving them certain assignments to make them aware who, I mean, the, to understand that they are all public servants because now our ministry is public services. It's not the Ministry of Public Administration, now the ministry is public services. So that's how we basically uh, have structured and we have a different model that we have at the, uh, I mean, the, um, the designing stage. I will be discussing that after listening to other presenters as well. So this is what we basically do. As you said, we also have a challenge because our group of inductees are from different disciplines. So if I try to teach them the basic economics, so they will be frustrated. So sometimes what we do is considering the group, we sometimes have the economics as an optional subject, English as an optional subject and I mean, last time we had, we gave them a, uh, I mean, the placement test. From that, we divided them into different groups and we gave them the language competency program. So that's how we did, but still it's challenging. Uh, to tell you the truth, most of them, they don't like it because, I mean, I, I think it's basically people, I mean, our, our, sometimes our people, they, are, they expect a lot from the, their first appointments. That may be one of the reasons. They think that they have entered to the premier public service. So therefore, I mean, they, they have a lot of expectations. That's the, because we are handling the alpha generation. So we are being X generation people. We try to, uh, I mean, the handle the, I mean, the very new and alpha generation. So we need to think of in, structuring our programs, the future workforce and their expectations as well. That's my personal view. So thank you very much. Over to you.
Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Number of questions arise here that I think we should take up. Samina Bibi, can you please tell us, first of all, why do we have this segregated tra training? Why do we have junior civil servants? I think Sipali said they have the same thing. Junior civil servants, one group. Senior civil servants, one group. Knowledge does not go according to, according to age groups. Why can't we put everybody together? Why can't we do it by subjects? So why do we have to do this with well, senior management, junior management, grade 18, grade 19, this, that. That is, again, I go back, so Lord Macaulay, so colonial. Nobody does it like that. Sabina, baby, how do you justify that? <clears throat> Thank you, Doc Sab. I, I'm just going to take a minute to go back to your introductory slide um, and just uh, sort of uh, uh, give a comment on that, that, you know, uh, putting... Uh, the blame for entire uh, governance crisis on the doorstep of the civil servant uh, probably is not a very nuanced approach. Uh, and as far as uh, Ahmad Rajwana's poem is concerned, that seems to be a personal existential crisis rather than a comment on the CSS exam. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm just going to restrict myself to the scope which concept note uh, and for the benefit of Dr. Sipali and others who, don't, who are not familiar with the civil service uh, training structure in Pakistan, we, once the candidates have cleared the exam, they come in for a common training program where participants from all the services undergo about eight, nine months of a joint training program. Uh, that's more of a networking opportunity as well, because eventually all those people are going to become the fabric of the civil bureaucracy. After that, they go to their respective institutes for their specialized training, again, eight, nine months to a year. Customs people go to customs training, administrative people go to administrative training institute, police people go to their respective institutions. After that, about after about 10 years um, being in the service, they again come back to the institute with, where I am, National Institute of Management for their mid-career management course. Uh, Mid-career management course is a sort of a middle career uh, management training, which is meant to equip them for operational and tactical level uh, responsibilities. That's when they've had a reasonable experience of 10 to 12 years, but also they are fresh to new ideas. So you sort of reorient their uh, entire perspective towards public service delivery and effective monitoring, uh, effective operational uh, delivery. The next step, which is after a few years, is the senior management course when they again come back to us. Uh, and then they are here with us for about 14 weeks or 16 weeks, the duration varies. And that's when they've had put in about 16 to 18 years of experience. And it's more of a policy level uh, preparation tenure. And there's a lot of opportunity for cross learning as well at this point. So this is from grade 19 to 20, and then eventually, finally, they go to national management uh, training, uh, which is for promotion to the highest level from 20 to 21. So in the entire life cycle of a civil servant in Pakistan, there are a number of training opportunities. And I think this goes well with the idea of uh, never really stopping yourself from, uh, from training and acquiring new skills. Uh, now, coming to your question that why, why shouldn't we put everybody together, uh, all levels at, in one training program, I think that might 
not be the answer to what we are looking for because when we speak of the future reform in the training, we want to go towards a specialized model. We want to go towards um, training need analysis, individual training need analysis. We want to go towards developing linkages between what a specific organization expects and wants and what is required uh, as a form of training for the individuals who are with us. So if we put everybody together, we might not be able to tailor a program that fits in with the requirements of either the individuals or the organizations that send them to us. Now, uh, in your concept note, you've also touched upon the foreign training and I want to sort of uh, clarify here that you know, foreign training right now for civil servant is a bit of a myth. There was a time where, when everybody thought that all the civil servants are always hopping on the planes and going to foreign countries for, for availing these free courses. That's no more relevant, it might be in the previous generation. In my 25 years of service, I haven't availed, availed a single foreign training on the expense of Pakistan government. Uh, the, the degrees that I've done, they have been through scholarships. So let's just leave that uh, aside for a little bit. And I want to quickly talk about the future directions. Uh, for training. I'm not saying that the existing training programs are perfect, but I do want to place it on record that they are very carefully crafted ecosystems. You know, after every training course ends, there is a complete and thorough course review, uh, which is done both by the participants and there is a training conference that is done by the trainers. And each and every component, so, so much so that each and every individual lecture is discussed for its utility and relevance. And then the next syllabus is designed according to what are the outcomes from the previous course. Uh, so it's not really haphazard. It's not really uh, predictable. It's a very carefully, thoughtfully designed program at the mid-career level, when, uh, level uh, at the senior management level and at the national management level. Uh, since there is always a lot of room for improvement, there are a few areas which, according to me, are really significantly important. What are the main concerns from the civil servants? Or what, what is it that we want to achieve through uh, training the civil servants? We want to ask ourselves, is the training just a box that need to be checked for promotion? Are we able to equip trainers with modern drivers of change? Do we prepare these civil servants for service delivery challenges that are faced today? So as far as the first question is concerned, a lot I've, I hear a lot of people saying that, you know, mid-career or senior management courses, participants only come because it's a mandatory requirement for their promotion. They just want to get this box checked and go on. But believe me, it's not so because uh, according to the recent changes in the promotion policy, the training outcome has been given 30% weightage. So unless they perform very well in these trainings, they can't really, uh, just by ticking a box, they can't really avail the promotion. The next question is, are we able to equip the trainers with modern, modern drivers of change? So there are very carefully designed ICT governance uh, uh, courses for them, for the mid-career ones and for the senior management ones also. There is a lot of emphasis on evidence-based decision-making. There's a lot of emphasis on uh, creating scenarios in simulation form where they actually uh, discuss things, plan things, do their research and come up with practical solutions. So during the entire 
life cycle of the training of a civil servant, there is a lot of emphasis on finding solutions to practical problems. And as far as this debate for general training and specialized training is concerned, I think the government is already moving towards curtailing the generalized period of training uh, by a few weeks. And instead of uh, having them here, they'll be sent to their respective institutes for a few weeks of specialized training. But for me, what is even more important is the adaptational aspect of training. And this is a new concept that, you know, they should be given general training, they should be given specialized training, but they should also be given adaptational training as to, you know, if they are put to a specific challenge, they should not have a boxed mentality as to what should be done about that problem. They, they should be able to uh, come up with out of box solutions in that particular situation. So for me, the future reform direction, fine, it should be specialist based, but there should be more emphasis on developing linkages with parent organizations where the parent organizations identify the training needs of their individuals, of their uh, members whom they are sending to us. And another important thing is the training impact analysis. And here again, the respective organizations have to come up with some findings, some kind of feedback to us, to the training institutes, that the, this is the training impact analysis and you need to reevaluate your training programs according to these, uh, uh, these uh, findings. So uh, there's a lot of room for improvement in the training regime of civil servants. I agree with that. But a lot of good things are also being done. And I also want to sort of say here, uh, state here that, you know, the bulk of our civil servants are not just CSS officers. Uh, I think majority, 70, 80% of our civil servants are non-CSS officers. And uh, just in the recent past, no one ever thought about training them. But it's only recently that the ex carder or the you know, specialist carders like economists or scientists or engineers, they are also being included into the training regime. For example, I'm, 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 right now there is a course of mid-career mid management uh, individuals happening in my institute and almost 50% of them are from ex carder or what you call technical carders. So that's a good development. So uh, I, I would just end by saying that there is a lot of realization that training uh, uh, is important. It, uh, it needs to be uh, tailored to meet the organizational objectives and bring out the best in, in individuals, not only in terms of equipping them with external tools, but also, also sort of bringing about the internal changes that, uh, that are important for effectively delivering public service. Uh, thank you so much. I think this is all that I wanted to say. At this thank point. you, Ji. I know Mohsen Chandana has to leave early. So Mohsen, let me put this question to you. And I think this I'll take to Sipali next. One thing that I think subcontinent uses too much, and I've lived in Sri Lanka and it's the same thing in India also. We use the word ING, ing, which I always say is a dirty word. Because we are always doing, we've never done anything. So I don't buy this thing, we are going to do this, we are going to do that. But Mohsen Saab, can you please tell me, is the training academy in Pakistan, the NIMS and the NIPA and the whatever, the senior management course, the five courses that um, I think Samina Bibi showed us very well, we have real estate tied up for these five courses that Samina Bibi gave us. Hundreds of acres of prime real estate tied up to do these five courses. Mohsen Saab, my question to you is very simple. 
can this not be done can this not be done by a university why do we need to tie up this prime real estate for these five courses to be delivered discreetly with those um, your facilities lying vacant for six months in a year with no faculty. I also would like to point out, and you will agree with me, you have no faculty. You invite people for you know giving part-time lectures and doing it. Hey, how long can we wing it like this? Why don't we give it to the universities? Any reason, Mohsin Sahib, we can't give this, this enterprise to universities, save the real estate, and maybe employ your retired faculty there rather than in these places? I don't see Mohsin Chandana on his seat. Let me call him and check if he's gone. I think so, yes. He's gone. Okay, Sepali, do you also have, is training in Sri Lanka also a real estate game? And who are your faculty members? Do you have any academics on your faculty members or is it just retired civil servants? Because here we have retired civil servants and whoever passes by. So Mohsin Chandra is here, sir. Mohsin Chandra is here. Okay. Mohsin, did you hear my Did you hear my question? No, sir. Please kindly repeat, sir, if you don't mind, sir. Okay. Let me repeat that very simply. Uh, Samina has shown us five streams. We've got these five streams that you're very familiar with. I, so I actually showed them, Dr. Let me show that again. At the beginning, at the beginning, 10 years, 15 years, whatever, we've got five training courses. Right. We've got right. hundreds of acres of real estate, prime real estate, as you know, tied up in these five training courses. Right. Half the time, the real estate is empty. Right. Secondly, right. these places have no real faculty. They just now and again hire some people, but not even hire, invite people for, to give a lecture for an hour. Would it not be better if we gave this training to the universities, save the real estate, and universities also flourish, create a linkage between the universities and the civil service? Why do we have to have these training academies? Can you please elucidate? Sir, uh, I mean, I'll be very specific. Please. As you know, I have taught 32 courses at IBA. And you were guest speaker, and you were guest speaker in two of those, right? You know it. Sir, our universities are most ill-prepared. IBA from 2000 till I think about 2006, they, they were doing one year MBA on taxation, but they could not achieve it and it had to be discontinued. Uh, Dr. Samina will endorse it. Okay. The second thing, because of this space and facilities and the core staff we have, we have been able to gather top class faculty visiting faculty who can come and who can deliver lectures because they are civil servants or they are specialists. I'll give you an example. When we talk about trade diplomacy, we get Mirza Kamar Beg to talk about, a federal secretary who has been ambassador, who has been minister of commerce. When we talk about uh, foreign relations, trust me, we have speakers of the like of... Uh, Sikandar Sheikh uh, Saab, uh, what is his name? Jo, who was Pakistan, Pakistan ambassador to US and many other. Like mm -hmm. we had a Pakistan ambassador to China, Shamshad Ahmad Khan comes. So what I'm saying is even you came and you were kind enough to come and deliver a lecture. If a university is conducting the, such a course, they are not able to do it. Third, what is the cost? I'll give you an example. We 
at nim karachi after a gap of about 10 11 years we did specialized training course for state life insurance corporation and trading corporation and if i am not wrong the samina aapka course aaj khatam hua hai mera khayal hai is it right yeah next week khatam ho raha hai jo state life ka hai right so this course which we conducted i started it humne uske we charge 150000 rupees only right and they were very happy and we conducted and we got four or five actuaries from the market and we got very decent faculty it specialist also we have our own inherent inbuilt it uh, specialist in name also and every name has but we collected very uh, decent faculty and we conducted that course sir you will be shocked when i asked the training head of jubli life insurance that how much do you charge if how much are you willing to pay for such a course and he was not forthcoming i said yaar just tell me because i am conducting this course and i want to know how are we charging more or less so he said are you how much are you charging i said 150000 he said it is peanuts this is what we pay for less than a week course so if we try to do this sort of a course the the money we will have to pay to a university will be monumental i mean you just try, ask uh, dr fahim jahangir if he has to conduct a 10 week course at pied how much will it charge do you know the, the government of pakistan is only paying 225000 rupees for a 14 week course which includes an inland study tour which costs about 50000 rupees and it includes boarding and lodging and everything guest speakers everything and they are paying only 225000 aap koshish kare ke pied mein aap mujhe ye 5 lakh mein course karke dikha de you can't do it so i think over a period of time the only i what i agree is you are absolutely right aur wo aapki dekhe jo aapne baat kahi i have already uh answered that question that because our spaces are we have idle spaces so we should be allowed to utilize it and we at nim karachi were doing it i left it and i'm very glad that samina took it over and despite covid and everything she was able to uh, gather a group of state life insurance corporation officers and conducted another training course and she must have uh, generated 5 million rupees which is like a very decent like decent money for running one or two two months expenses so i think i am definitely with you that these are very big places but at the same time the the quality of training and at the same time the amount that the government is paying is too little yes staff college jitni badi jagah hai they should not uh, i mean they conduct two courses in nine months so why not uh, probably rent out or probably do small training courses in the rest of the three months so this is my view Dr. Sapali, what about you? Tell me how, 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 what is your faculty like? Do you have retired civil servants? Do you rely on just guest lecturers? How do you, how do you conduct your courses? Yes, actually, this is my personal view. Actually, so yeah, I think your question is whether we can hand over these training programs for universities. Yes. Right. Why not? So I'm of yes, I'm of the view. this is my personal because universities have their own objectives 
and I mean that they are actually the system of work and their expectations different because that's they are they are basically to contribute to the knowledge. So the training programs, training institutes, I think of the model of providing job related knowledge specific. So the university programs are different from training programs. This is my personal view because we have to, I mean, differentiate academic programs and training. So we have here in our institute also, for an example, a master's program. So that is for a specific purpose and at the same time, job related to, to provide knowledge on specific jobs. So for those, we have designed uh, training programs. So I'm of the beef, we have to have separate training institutes and uh, universities also, but sometimes universities might say, we also can do training for that we have, uh, I mean, the enough resources and we have the capacity to deliver those. Secondly, uh, with regard to our faculty, we have a blender of uh, the resource persons who are in the service, who are retired and working with us at the same time, academically qualified, uh, permanent staff uh, also, that is, let's say, PhD qualified permanent staff here we have. And on secondment basis from different services we have here. And also we have group of people as external resource persons some of them, they are in the service, work with us. They are retired, but still work with us. So likewise, we have a group of mixture of people. So from the universities we have as external academics with qualify, I mean the academic qualifications. And at the same time, we have from the services on secondment basis work with us and but, but still work, visit for our uh, training programs and even the retired people and we have a group of mixture of people. So I always, my, I'm personally believe we have to have a mixture like a fruit salad if you want to give participants a blender of theory into practice because so these training programs are like, let's say, I want to just differentiate our master's program here we have with us and the university master's program. So our master's program is, it's a master of public management. So other, I don't want to name other universities also, we have the same program. It's the master of public management, but we differentiate our master's program because we have designed this master's program specifically for the executives in the country, which is a mandatory requirement for them. So it's more practical. We bring theorists whom can talk about the practice, who are in the practice. So that's masters. So apart from the training programs, so our training, I mean, the, so training, job related training. So if universities can do that, I'm all right, but I'm still of the weave. Universities, they have their, I mean, the different responsibility, 
as training institutes, we look into a different aspect that means more job related, job oriented, specific skills we need to I mean, provide the training uh, trainees. That's my personal view. Thank you. Thank Over you. to you. Thank you, Dr. Sipali. I'm a little leery of this insular, incestuous model where retired civil servants and inter-service people are training each other. We forget that the people are the consumers of their service. What are these guys going to teach each other? More of the same? Or are we going to move forward and teach them something new? For example, even today, Mohsen, Dr. Samina, we still have files with uh, what do you call it? Bands, you know, those files from the 19th century where people are writing in scrawly handwriting, which nobody can read. We still don't have anything serious research work coming out of the civil service, despite the fact that Ralph Prebanti pointed out in 1958 there was research in the civil service. India officers research in the civil service. I return to my question How can retired people? and inter-services people train people. To say that universities are different, Madam, Mr. Uh, Dr. Sifali, we still look up to Harvard Kennedy School, where all my friends, academics are sitting there. And our civil service paid $60 million of loan funds to go to Harvard Kennedy School to train. Now, why can't Government College Lahore or Punjab University or somebody train them? I still haven't got a satisfactory answer. Samina Bibi, Dr. Samina, will you answer that? Why do we need this part-time training, talk show training that you give us, three people panel and they just talk? What is What good is this training to us? Actually, you know, I, I have to invite you to attend one of our training courses. So you actually know what happens in I would tell you a lot of them, don't worry. <laughs> so I, I tend to agree with Dr. Sipali that, you know, universities have a completely different objective. They are, universities are very respectable. You see, I studied at Kinaid College, Lahore, and that was a paradigm shift for me. Uh, and the kind of academic excellence that I experienced there, I don't think uh, I can compare, with, compare that with anything else. But the thing is that if you were to ask me to replace my common training program with uh, my master's in, in Kinaid College, they are not uh, you know, interchangeable. They are completely two different experiences. Uh, they, they have two different objectives. So, and it's not that only the retired civil servants or in service, uh, uh, civil servants are training here. It's a mix, uh, like Dr. Sipali said, the, the fruit salad. So even the training staff uh, in, the, in the names is a mixed lot. And you say that uh, you use very strong words uh, that, you know, how can civil servants be training civil servants? I think why not? I think only civil servants can train civil servants. And it's not just civil servants. We have practitioners. We have governance specialists. I have people from, uh, from think tanks in Islamabad. I, uh, I have uh, somebody, uh, very proudly, I engaged somebody who designed the smart lockdown policy for COVID-19 to give IT, uh, to take IT workshop for my MCMC and SMC participants. So it's, we have university professors, we have development specialists, we have uh, uh, retired civil servants and serving civil servants. I teach my people, uh, my, my trainees. Uh, Dr. Mohsen Channa uh, delivers some lectures. So it's a blend. And 
being at this institute actually gives me the flexibility to engage resources from all over the platter. It's not just like in the university, again, you're restricted with this academic uh, orientation of things. And I have high regard for academics because you see they are the they are our soul. They run this country with their with their thought process. I would, process I would also argue, Dr. Samina, let's, let's just take that off the table. Universities will also be flexible if they are given this thing. They will also combine all the resources that you are doing. Like Channa Saab spoke about state life. Why, why reinvent the wheel? Why should, why should universities not do it? Why should retired civil servants do it? I don't understand that. Why, why can't retired civil servants go to universities and do it? Sir, sorry, sorry yeah. for interjecting, but I, I please, need please, to... Go ahead. Go ahead. We take we take retired civil servants who are who are specialists in their field. Like I'll give they you. They could be taken by universities too. I'll give you 68 batch. We had 20 CSPs. We pick one. 69. Yeah. We pick one. I I tell you, I invited former chief secretary Javed Ashraf Hussain. I said, sir, would you like to come? He said, yeah, not my cup of tea. I can't do it because. Every civil servant is not comfortable to teach, to to talk to probationers, to start presenting their experience and converting it into hmm. a, a, a meaningful discourse is not easy. Hmm. Uh, trust me, officers they are at a loss when you ask them to prepare a good presentation and deliver it and then take question answers. I have seen many a bureaucrats failing. Not everybody can do it. Trust me, not everybody can do it. So we I take a break and then at the same time, if we talk about academics, now let me tell you, uh, we have at least six professors from IBA who come for uh, SDG goals, right? Then for accounting procedures, public sector and private sector uh, enterprises, uh, financial mm -hmm. statements. So for these things, no civil servant, I, I don't think anybody can qualify. Public financial management. So for these things, we look for academics. But when we, when it comes to governance, no a, a good chief secretary who has, who has an academic background, nobody can match his experience. Trust me, Fair nobody enough. can match his experience. Fair enough. Okay. Let me take that. Uh, let me take it in another direction. I agree with you. Fair enough. That look, but I think, let me say it this way. So I think we really need to begin to think differently. Just because Lord Macaulay did it a certain way, we don't have to continue. He died 200 years ago in case the news has reached us. Lord Macaulay died 200 years ago, but we... We keep his. I'm going to recommend Mohsen Saab that finance ministry should make a statue of Lord Macaulay in front of the finance ministry since we keep him alive. I'm just asking, I'm not saying that universities should get, I think universities should be an important place for training and we should do that. I was at some point in charge of part of funds training program and we took a clear decision, internal training program. We took a clear decision. I remember several meetings that we will do high level training for our staff. We will not do in-house training. We would get people from outside because we said that in-house they do get training. We have to get people from outside the latest research to our staff, that's our job and that's what we did. Okay, now let's move on a little. Please tell me, 
you have this discrete training system all of you where people come in at discrete stages of the career and do training what about on the job training is there no such thing as on the job training mohsin sahab i'll remind you you were in the washington do you remember how many web seminars there were in the world bank and the imf i remember every department would then join to have one seminar at least every week and some had many more and everybody had a brown bag seminar there was a continuous on the job training through these huge menu of seminars that were available i remember at lunch time people just used to pick up a sandwich and go to these seminars now there is no on the job training in your civil service any efforts you guys are making for that we do webinars we do a lot of webinars today for example i don't think there is a single civil servant here your civil servants don't feel the need to learn so what are you instilling in them if they have no need to learn and they just do this mandatory training and go home sir, sir, what do we so you have two civil servants you have in a panel of four you have two civil servants one they both have improved their skills and graduated masters phd from abroad too second thing is probably on the basis of your argument this is the first year that the mid career management course dr samina was talking about it has been bifurcated there are this was supposed to be a 14 week course it will be a 10 week course at the uh, nims and nspp and a four week specialized course for the departments it will be conducted by their respective specialized training institutes the nab guys will go to the nab training institute the ib guys will go to the ib training institute only to the likes of like uh, if there are one or two every year we will have a problem but even then we will consolidate so the 14 week training has been uh, divided into two 10 weeks the general training which you see and the uh four week specialized training which you are saying on job which is absolutely right because up till now they were doing undergoing that 14 week training course and many a times our participants especially from pof wac and or defense production they said that you are delivering a you have conducted a course which is primarily designed for dmg and police people to some extent foreign service guys but now the custom guys will be going for the next 4 weeks after the 10 weeks sort of common course 4 weeks to their training institute and they will be doing the custom laws irs people will be going to the irs sti so yes there will be a on job training after every about 10 years so this is a very good beginning the shift in what you are suggesting yonji dr samina on job training uh, is also somewhat organizational responsibility and uh, uh, i can't really comment on uh, on organizations uh, sort of adding on to what we do at ncmc smc or an mc level but definitely there is a need and this uh, uh, this step towards having more specialized training Uh, might be uh, a step towards the right direction but uh, i think there there needs to be an organizational culture where there is this need for ongoing training and just one mcmc or smc or nmc is not considered enough for achieving uh, organizational goals but i think uh, other than formal trainings 
the the environment the governance environment is becoming so challenging now that unless you know individual professionals do come up with uh, with up to date standards of uh, of of uh, skill and knowledge they will be misfit uh, and the way the emphasis is now uh, being placed on performance management i don't think unless an individual uh, officer trains himself or herself sufficiently will be able to meet those performance criteria so if uh, performance management is going to be the bot bottom line for promotions and career progressions then on job trainings will obviously become mandatory whether they are done formally or informally but uh, there's no denying the fact that there is a need for on job training uh, continuous training and that that's the point i made in the beginning as well that you know training has to be a lifetime uh, endeavor it's not that you just uh, train yourself once or twice in a lifetime and you think that you've achieved whatever you uh, whatever your potential was or let's get or let's whatever get you needed to achieve let's get an economist viewpoint dr fahim jahangir you've been associated with the nim for the last uh, few years you know nim very well please tell us what's your take on the training do you agree with me uh, disagree sir, with thank me? you yes sir thank you so much sir uh, i think mohsin chandra wants to leave is it right mohsin chandra sir mohsin sahab agar aapne kuch kehna to why don't you take over first mohsin sahab go ahead fahim let mohsin sahab says ji ji i am waiting for him i think sir, he left sir wo ja chuke hain sir wo ja chuke hain ja chuke hain okay chalo fahim go ahead go ahead fahim <clears throat> okay <clears throat> thank you dr nadeem i think uh, we already have very good discussion with uh, dr samina channa saab and uh, uh, our speaker from sleda uh, i had a very interesting experience from uh, uh, at name islamabad i served there with uh, uh, interact with these bureaucrats uh, mostly civil servants uh, in contrast to karachi name Uh, we mostly have like more than 80-90 percent uh, participant from a civil service uh, group. We have very few ex-cadres in Islamabad, and also I think I believe that in. Uh, by the way, for the sake of doctor, for the sake of Doctor Sapali and the rest, I might must mention the term that we use ex-cadre. Doctor Sapali, we have um, a caste system in the civil service. The cadre civil servants, the Brahmins. the ex-cadres who are the techni technicians who know something about you know the the cadre people are generalists they've done ma english etc the others who've done a phd or sweet technology or engineering or something are ex-cadre and they are at the bottom of the system they are the shudras of the system they we don't talk about them except in a demeaning fashion they are ex-cadre so go ahead ji ah yeah so this is the slide which i shared uh, while uh, uh, madam samina samina was talking this is the structure of the civil service training apart from these uh, uh, opportunities at the uh, local level uh, these civil servants do have foreign training opportunities short term medium term long term and these trainings are mostly donor funded training and i would uh, 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 disagree respectfully with dr samida because i have recently published a paper on foreign trainings in pakistan and only during 2015 and 9, 2019 1100 servants uh, received foreign trainings mostly short term uh, foreign trainings my my paper is available on five websites uh, so what i would talk about is like Uh, if we look at the content and structure of uh, MCMC, which is a mid-career management course and senior management course, they are more uh, 
uh, of, of more or less are the same. Uh, there are hardly any change in the content and the structure of these courses. So, uh, you know, if you look at the advanced course as they go up, I, I believe that the SMC must be more advanced, more uh, operational related courses, but this is not the case which I felt. Then if you look at the uh, training environment, uh, there is more emphasis on a discipline uh, uh, in the training uh, institutes uh, uh, rather than uh, emphasis on the development of skills and knowledge generation and analytical thinking. So uh, apart from this, uh, uh, if you also look that there is more emphasis on listening uh, than interaction, exchange of ideas and learning. So uh, it's more like a military kind of uh, an environment aim, uh, let me say that. And uh, it is, in my opinion, uh, if you say that there must be one or two lectures in the morning so that they can listen and ask you questions. And there must be, you know, interactive sessions in the afternoon because there is a kind of a prison kind of an environment. You cannot leave a room. You have to sit, you have to dress, uh, you know, properly according to the given guidelines. You cannot talk, you cannot write, you cannot look back at the clock. There are so many, you know, things uh, which are quite bothersome in the, uh, in that training environment. And what I also feel which is very important for me is there is a clear disconnect between the Make, then uh, we make sure that these officers, they reach on time. We make sure that they dress well. We make sure that they meet the deadlines. Everything. But when they go back uh, to their offices, uh, it's a, it has a completely different, you know, environment. So there is a complete disconnect uh, in that environment. Uh, then uh, I would only uh, like to just talk about this one thing, which is uh, I felt is, which is about the nominations of civil officers for these mandatory courses at NSP. If you look at that, the, the nominations of these officers are not based on uh, skill requirement or technical needs, rather they are based on the seniority of these, uh, you know, uh, officers and their promotion into the higher service grade. So uh, the purpose is not entirely to enhance a particular skill or uh, fill the capacity gap. So in my view, uh, uh, the, the outcome remains largely ineffective and unsuccessful. Uh, my suggestion would be that every entry into these mandatory courses should be qualifying exam. So I stop here. Thank you. Great. I think can that's we, the key. Can I question respond, doctor? Please go ahead. Go ahead. Ji, Samina, Ji. Ji. Thank you, Fahim, sir. Um, I think ye, uh, I'd really like to read your paper, Joaquin, maybe that was 2015. Yeah, kya? Isme aapne ka ke 1100 During two, 2015 uh, and 2019. So I that's fine. You can just share the link of that paper. Thank you. I'm not uh, denying it must be so. Uh, I just want to say that, you know, uh, the best judge that whether these trainings are useful or not are probably the civil servants, the stakeholders. They are the biggest stakeholders. And what you have displayed, because you have a personal experience, you have been in Islamabad, so I'm not going to refute that, which are observations or perceptions. Uh, but I just want to say that they are sort of subjective. I have a study that recently issued uh, um, Ministry of- Because uh, Dr. Sipali is here. Who did that? 
Uh, I've, I've just uh, uh, received this study from Ministry of Planning, Development and Special Initiatives, which they conducted in, uh, uh, I think, by the support of UNDP. And it's, uh, uh, it's a training needs assessment of civil servants. And uh, it, it gives a detailed review of all these trainings, the specialized training, the common training program, the mid-career management, uh, the senior management and the NMC course, which is right at the top. And it's a, it's a survey-based study. So instead of a subjective observation, it presents to us the viewpoint of the biggest stakeholders that are the civil servants. Uh, uh, Dr. Samina, I've seen that study. I know that study. It yeah, is so not, I'm, I'm just saying that not, uh, there are some... It is not at all objective. So let me complete. I think before you pass that study off as an objective study, it is not objective. No, I'm it's not a, saying that it's objective. It's a very bad I'm study. That and I don't see why UNDP through some consultants, which is called Chemonics, they did that. I mean, I don't see why we even rely on this. This is what I mean. Civil servants should do their own studies and not rely on Chemonics I, I, and third rate firms. I am not relying on it. It's the, I'm not relying on that. It. I just received this today. But it, it is survey based and uh, they surveyed about 200 to 300 participants from each training. So uh, predominantly, it's not, it's not they have shown based. their- Madam, again, it's not survey based. It's perceptions of civil service. We did that in PIDE in 2006-07. Perceptions are very inexact, very difficult to assess. So you collect perception, exactly, you call it survey, what, it's not survey. That's, not what survey. I'm, that's what I'm trying to say, that what Fahim Saab has also presented is, in a way, perceptions. So if we have to take into account perceptions, then it should be collective perceptions of all the stakeholders and not just one person yeah. who has been associated with one of the civil servants. If you're taking civil servants, I'm sorry, that's one stakeholder. I, the consumer, am a stakeholder too. I've spent five days getting attestations from civil servants. This is the product of your training. I spent five days, $10,000, just getting paperwork in order that was totally unnecessary. And I think if this is what we are producing, we really have to think. And I don't buy this. May I, in fact, I, when that study came up in Ishtar's committee, I, this, I said this is a bad study because all you're doing is collecting civil service perceptions. Why do I want their perception? I want the perception of the people who suffer. Again, this is your perception and it must be valid, I'm sure. But, you know, one perception cannot be generally applied. I think it will be a little unfair if you just uh, sort of... Uh, 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 replicate one experience over all of the civil servants. Uh, you know, times are such that it's very convenient to put the blame, entire blame at the civil servants' footstep. You know, they are, they are the scapegoat. They, they have always been an easy scapegoat. So let's just keep this discourse constructive. Instead of blame gaming, I think the, the objective of today's webinar should be that how to improve the quality and outcomes of training. And exactly. So instead of, you know, if, if, we, if we sort of keep, keep on ostracizing the civil servants and saying that, you know, if this is the training is producing, it's going to be counterproductive. Uh, it's uh, as I, in, in one of the... How can you ostracize the civil in, service? Civil service in, in in one of the previous webinars, I had uh, I had emphasized that civil servants are only a mirror of the society. So you know they're as good or as bad as your society yes. is anywhere mm -hmm. in the world. They are not. They are the produce of this system. 
and they are working with the odds of the system. They, I think today's civil servant is doing a heroic job. The kind of uh, Democles sword that is hanging over his or her head uh, and the kind of, you know, circumstances, arduous circumstances that he or she has to face in this country today. It has never been like that. So uh, I'm not undermining that civil servants need to do introspection. They need to improve the standards of their serv uh, service delivery. They need to improve their training outcomes. Me as the trainer need to work harder to make our civil servants accountable to the public. But simultaneously, I'm not going to sort of make them a scapegoat for everything that hey, we are going talking wrong of training. We are not we are not making them yeah. scapegoat. We are talking of training, madam. Uh, Rahatulayan Saab, he's been a director of NIMS himself for a long time. Rahat Saab, can you please come in and tell us what you think? Rahat Saab, I think you have to unmute. Yes. Okay. I've done it. Uh, thank you, Dr. Nadeem. I first apologize because I joined late. I was busy somewhere else. Uh, but uh, let me just begin with a comment uh, from what I have heard uh, from the discussion and then a question. A question to Dr. Samina, maybe to Dr. Stepali. I haven't heard uh, any of these speakers and uh, also Mr. Chandana, whom I know well. So the first uh, is a comment which I was uh, wondering uh, about is the difference between training and education. Uh, Dr. Nadeem, you raised the question whether the universities could be a place where uh, uh, training of the civil servants could be done. Um, I have a view on that. And the view is based on uh, my perception of the difference between training and education um, education, for instance, it can be illustrated by an example, teaches you why an aeroplane flies, the physics uh, of it. And training teaches you how to fly a plane. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the difference. Uh, education goes deeper into the, uh, uh, the ins and outs of a subject whereas training uh, teaches you the skills to implement or to apply that knowledge. Uh, that is the difference between, and keeping that in mind, universities are better placed to impart education, which takes longer, two years degree or four years degree to get into, to get at the bottom of how an aeroplane flies and what are the mechanics and what is the physics involved. Whereas training is shorter uh, and therefore uh, it cannot be the same thing as educating. Uh, it's, it's different. It's short um, doses, which as Dr. Samino was saying, should be more frequent. And that is how it works. That is the comment I had to make. Now, the question is, since I have been associated with the training, although I'm now uh, dated and uh, these people, Dr. Samina and uh, uh, Chandna Sahab are 
more current. And uh, I don't know uh, what uh, Madam Sepali said, but the question is this, that the governments are spending quite a lot of uh, exchequers money on the civil servants training. What is it that makes the civil servants repeat the kind of uh, behavior and attitude and interaction, the, the interaction protocol that they bring with them to a training institute when they go out, they behave in the same way. The effect of the training, the good things that we teach them or train them for in the institutions do not seem to have any effect on them when they go in the same environment, which is of course polluted and they have to perform there in that polluted environment where there are, as Dr. Samina was pointing out, uh, heroic job, they are working under pressures, they have uh, different kinds of negative incentives and they have been blamed for so many uh, things that do not, uh, should not fall in their lap, but they are blamed for that. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things for which they should be blamed or they should be held responsible, uh, but that is a different matter. What I'm saying is that the training institutions are spending a lot of money, a lot of effort. And when the trainees go back to the system, they do not reflect the effect or the goodness that they have acquired from that training uh, by spending 20 months or 20 uh, weeks or seven weeks or 11 weeks, depending on which training, MC, MC, SMC, and MC, whatever they are doing, it is not reflected in their behavior, in the governance pattern, or in anything that we see uh, in the civil servants performing outside the training institutions while they are there. And if you ask them to speak, they will say very good things about uh, honesty, about um, working along uh, uh, according to the rules, being neutral, uh, respecting the hierarchical system um, and so on and so forth. But uh, in real life, uh, nothing of that sort is visible. So what is it that a training institution should do? That is my question. To, Very good question. to make the civil servants different when they go out. Very good question. Very good question. We'll come back to Samina and the panelists. Let's me bring in Dr. Zahid. Dr. Zahid. Dr. Zahid, bolie. Sir, Sir, my question is please. Sir, I have a very uh, brief, three to four questions, but very brief. Firstly, sir, uh, what is the criteria of posting of uh, instructors and DGs in the National Institutes of Management? Okay. I, I have seen that. Uh, uh, very sorry, but I have seen that people who could not get posting of their choice in any way else, they are get posted in National Institute of Management. 
secondly sir uh, whether uh, i will ask whether the research papers are objectively analyzed uh, which are submitted by the training officers in uh, smc mcmc and and in nmc courses and and thirdly sir uh, my question is why still we have not been able to differentiate to 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 stop the discrimination between various groups during the training for example it it happened that everywhere why is it that everywhere in every course uh, the people from single group get the first and second positions sir these are my brief questions okay great hijazi sahab mr dr hijazi vice chancellor of uh, um apna konsi university hijazi sahab go ahead ji <laughs> thank you very much actually i was not very consistent in attending all the sessions uh, no you have done but i have attended some of them good and good. i am very happy that you have taken up uh, this issue and it needed a lot of debate on that and i think that's what's going on uh, the first thing is that uh, i would uh, say that you know i have uh, during my tenure in the planning commission i had about 43 meetings with the different groups of civil servants discussing governance and uh, i'm a still a regular uh, trainer in nim uh, currently peshawar but you know many of the lahore nims for instance i was a little critical and the next time they never invited me uh, <laughs> i don't know why but anyway uh, the, the the dr samina is when she is defending the whole thing i see she is right uh, because uh, the uh, the situation which she is living and the situation, uh, situation which she is working and the structure of the civil servants what she is thinking is she is right but from a person from outside when she says that uh, civil servants is a mirror of uh, people no not at all because we have not actually defined the civil servants to be working for the people they are supposed to be working in isolation so uh, that isolation sir, that's a, that's a, that's a bigger subject let's stay on the training okay how coming down to training for instance when we were in planning commission we announced a training for civil servants uh, uh, and we had about 1000 1100 trainings for civil servants our call responded with only 96 people volunteered to have a one week training when i was in international islamic university we used to have a regular session of like two to three trainings for civil servants for almost uh, three weeks four weeks and we used to get a very good response because part of the training was a visit uh, to any other country so the section was uh, basically and when we were in planning commission this was very strongly recommended that if you want people to be trained they must be given mm -hmm. a some incentive or visit to dubai or whatever so actually why there is no interest in training because training does not help civil servant in any way in their work because the work is mainly focused on file the decisions are not made by the civil servant in isolation he has to get the decisions from so many people and a circumstantial sort of a, a decision are made so he doesn't need a lot of knowledge in, in, in that sort of situation so training uh, what training uh, we see is being done and i i really i i honestly tell you whenever i go for training i try to instigate them to talk about something uh, to talk about the solutions the talk of the problems of the people 
and they are not interested in that because the training is only for promotion and that's it. And uh, again, we very strongly recommended that every course in the training should be separately marked, but they normally have the, uh, they have all the marks taken together. 15% marks are taken for promotion, which is very little. We suggested 30%, I don't know whether they have incorporated or not, but even that is bad because uh, the marks are not given on each course they are attending, but marks are given for the entire performance of four months or two months or whatever. So in that way, training has not really worked okay. for civil servants in, uh, in different ways. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I think, is there any other question? I think there is somebody, Mr. Amir, 27, G1BP. Mr. Amir. Uh, yes, sir. Sir, I'm Amir Shahzad. Uh, actually, it's my LUMS account. I'm doing Masters okay. in Business and Public Fair Policy enough. over there. So oh. that's why it is written in this way. Sorry for that, sir. Okay, go ahead. Uh, sir. Go ahead. Okay, sir. Thank you. Mm. Sir, my question is that uh, in the initial years of Pakistan, uh, the uh, the program started for the tra training of civil servants that chose to occur at Komila in former East Pakistan and present-day Bangladesh. Uh, why is not uh, applicable uh, today? And this uh, and the second question for, uh, from me is this, okay? Uh, why not we training our uh, civil servants on the basis of uh, multimedia labs? Okay? Why do they not go to the uh, localities, the rural areas, the urban areas, and they work on the real uh, work on the real time problems, the real problems? Why are they why are they being compelled to sit in the air conditioned rooms and the things like this? And they are just uh, noting the lectures and this and that. So why is there uh, so much gap between? Uh, real life and their learning. I mean to say between theory and practice. Thank okay. you, sir. Great, great, great. Okay, folks, I'll come back to the panelists. I put up some data on the screen. You can see it. Hassan Khawar, DMG, former civil servant, has said that training but through universities will be much cheaper. He's written an article I've took from there. It'll be 87%, 82% cheaper if given to universities. And that is not taking into account the resources that they've got, all the operational costs, the stuff that they've got. It'll be cheaper if we send it to Singapore. I think these are questions that we should ask. We are a deficit country. We go to the fund every few years. Even Sri Lanka is a deficit country. Can't we do cost-benefit analysis and improve our training? So over to you, Madam Sapali. Dr. Sapali, would you like to take up some of these issues and give us a Sri Lankan perspective? Can we innovate or do we have to continue training the same old way as we did in the past? Thank you. Um, even earlier, I, I said uh, that's my personal wave sure. because the model, actually the SLEDA mm. is the, uh, I, I don't say only, but it's the premier training institute. It's the, mm, I would say only the training institute that we have here in Sri Lanka to train the executives of the country. There are some more at sectoral level and other levels also at provincial levels. Mm. So with my experience, because I'm an academic, when it's come to university te teachings, because I'm a postdoctoral researcher and uh, I'm, I'm basically an academic. So I have different roles to play when it's come to different programs. And I'm a trainer when it's come to training programs. So I'm, I, I think I'm, 
I have the skill and the capacity to be a trainer plus an academic because I'm a PhD supervisor as well. So I'm in one of these PhD programs. So these are all basically academic programs. And at the same time, when it's come for training, civil service training, so I'm a trainer there as well. So I'm at SLEDA as a permanent officer and SLEDA we work as a university plus as a training institute as well. So in the postgraduate school, we don't train people, but we only offer an academic qualification. For that, we are ready. So for other part, training part, for that as a SLEDA as a training institute, so we provide only training for those, uh, I mean, the uh, on the job training or whatever induction or whatever kind of training. So I'm of the view we should not mix up training and academic work. That's my personal view. And for that to be successful, these two models, you have to carefully select the people. I mean, the resource persons, they can be in service. They can, I don't know, for me, like, I mean, the, from the services and academics, I mean, that has to be carefully selected. Because I know personally, even for training, if you give the trainees a good stuff, they really appreciate it. I have this experience. So at the same time, they reject. If they don't give, if you don't give them what is required for them to perform better when it's come to their present jobs. So I think it's the responsibility of the training institute to differentiate the, I mean, the, these two models and the cater to the requirement of the participants plus the requirement of the country. So if the universities can do training, because I know there are certainty, because some of the universities, they are basically training institutes. So they have a training arm and the academic arm as well. But only thing is, even if I select, invite one academic doctor from a university for a training program, um, if it is a training program, I look into whether they can pretty well bring the theory into practice. So if it is an academic program, our master's is really for the practitioners. So we bring the theories through the practices. So it's, I, I personally believe this is a debate to, to recognize what sort of a mode that we should use in delivering either training or academic sessions. It can be in the same place, but has to be say, different models. So we should carefully select the resource person. People, they are very smart. They reject the people. They don't respect their seniority or their academic qualifications. What I always say is qualifications, paper qualifications doesn't make you a perfect person. I can say that because I'm a postdoctoral researcher, I'm a postdoctoral fellow, and I'm a professor in management as well when it's come to another university level. 
I'm of the view academic qualifications, paper qualifications doesn't make you a perfect person unless other than you can, I mean, you try to fit into a particular structure, format, or a particular requirement. So that's my personal view. Otherwise, people will reject you, even as an academic, even as a trainer. That's my personal view. Over to you, sir. Well put, well put, Dr. Sipali. You're absolutely correct. Let me come to Dr. Samina. Look, the point is not that we are not trying to, uh, we are trying to innovate. We are trying to move ahead. We are more trying to move to the 21st century. There is a big failure here. Let's, let's accept it. Let's not try to put it into the carpet. We have failed in our policies. I'm Sri Lanka. I've been to Sri Lanka, madam. I've lived there for three years. I've worked in Sri Lanka. I know Sri Lanka well. But that was 20 years ago, so I don't want to go into that. But I do remember Sri Lanka had its difficulties and still does. But Pakistan has a lot of difficulties. I know Pakistan very well. We've got a growth rate that's declining. We've got a huge, I showed you some slides. So let's not try and pretend there's no problem. There's a huge problem. And we really have to think it through. Are we doing the right thing? Can we innovate? Can we do differently? So I think really the, so the, the spirit of the seminar is constructive. It's not meant to be, uh, you know, just putting different straw models on, on, on the table. So that's why I raised those questions, the spirit of being constructive and the spirit of trying to understand. I know the easiest thing in the world is to continue more of the same. But as an academic, what I've learned is we have to get out of a comfort zone and think differently. And if you don't think differently, then more of the same seems okay. But more of the same right now seems to me we've got a seven trillion deficit in um, uh, energy. We've got a two trillion deficit in the public sector enterprises. We don't know how much of a deficit we've got in wheat. We don't know how much of a deficit we've got in sh sugar. We have a deficit in <clears throat> our public sector governance. All these deficits, if training is not taking responsibility for at least part of it, somebody should. Samina Bibi, over to you, your last word. Thank you, Doc. Um, I think uh, you said that we need to innovate and we need to think differently. Uh, I mean, I think. We can't really continue with the same kind of policies uh, if we expect different results. I agree with you there. And if uh, if I can quote this example, I want to tell you that for past uh, few courses, two courses, second courses, we are conducting online now. So there's no physical training. Somebody, uh, a gentleman from LUMS, I think, asked this question that why can't uh, training be conducted in real time instead of people sitting in air-conditioned rooms in classrooms? So that is, I want to tell him that this is happening right now. So people are in their respective locations uh, and we are conducting the entire training program through Zoom technology. There is uh, no classroom environment right now for at least some time. Uh, COVID forced it upon us, but we adapted it quickly. So there's that innovation for you right now, as far as training is concerned. I want to go back to a couple of questions which were raised by the audience. Uh, I think somebody, Zahid Saab probably said that, uh, what is the posting criteria for NIM? Is somebody who's now not accepted anywhere sent to NIM? I think, I don't know where does he get that perception from? Um, but uh, I can vouch for myself that uh, I actually opted to come here because this was uh, the training and academic environment was very close to my heart. And then his second question was that research paper, are there any research papers or research work conducted at uh, MCMC and SMC? Uh, there are, there are a couple of research projects. There is individual research paper and there, there are um, uh, case study researches as well, which are conducted um, at MCMC and SMC level. 
Uh, then he said that why is it so that only one group tops every time? I think that is also a, a bit of a misconception. Um, it's not always that PS tops every course. Uh, that's probably, I don't know how people get these ideas and then they just refuse to get these ideas out of their mind. Uh, Hijazi Sa probably disagree with, uh, disagreed with me and said that uh, uh, civil servants are probably I had said that civil servants only mirror the society that they live in. And he said that no civil servants are exclusively living in, in a probably functioning in a bubble. I think I would have to leave it there. We would have to agree to disagree on that. This, this is an argument for another day. But going forward, what can be done differently to improve training? Definitely, there is a need for innovation. There is a need for self-critique. Uh, only self-critique can lead to constructive uh, pathways for future. Uh, and we are very open to any suggestions, positive suggestions. NSPP is very open to any suggestions. Uh, but what I personally feel is that we need to have more emphasis on behavioral and you know, value aspect of training unless it comes from within the, the eagerness for effect, effective public service delivery, uh, integrity, intellectual honesty, decision-making, commitment to your cause and your country, unless you carry those values very deeply rooted in your heart, any, any amount of external training cannot force you to become a good public servant. So I think that is one element that is probably, I'm going to be very candid, missing from uh, the entire regime of, uh, of training. But as far as innovation is concerned, I think we have made all efforts to take on board uh, the best practitioners, the best practices, uh, the case study learning approach. We, we pick up real-time situations, real-time crisis, real-time topics, whatever is happening in the country, uh, for example, right now, um, uh, all the topics of research or current issue presentations or simulation exercises are directly relevant to what is happening at the national scene. So uh, we try to make the training as current as possible. There's always room for improvement. There's definitely room for thinking uh, how to make our civil servants deliver their public service delivery mm -hmm. objectives positively. And I think this, uh, the good thing is that we, we are having this constructive dialogue and we are trying to learn from other experiences. I think some of the things that Dr. Sipali has said uh, make a lot of sense. And I'll probably try and incorporate them in my own training uh, uh, programs. But I, I do want to end by saying that, again, I'm going to emphasize that, you know, uh, we can't really judge the civil servants in isolation from the political, from social, from economic context. Uh, and unless we keep that context in mind, any kind of judgment would be exaggerated if not entirely unfair. Thank you very much. Fair point, fair point. So maybe before you go, can I just quickly ask you to comment on what Hassan Khawar wrote? that the training in universities would be 82% cheaper, Singapore would be 27% cheaper, and this is not taking into account operational costs and the fact that huge tracts of commercial land are being used for our training. Um, you know, there's an opportunity cost. The first thing that I teach my economic students is an opportunity cost. So the opportunity cost of training is huge in Pakistan. Um, do you have any comments on that? 
Hassan is a regular speaker at our institute, and uh, uh, I hope that this observation, uh, rather, I expect that this must be empirically, uh, you know, this must, uh, this observation must be based on empirical study. He's he must have a, done he's his empirical point. Yeah, he's making. Uh, he must have done some numbers, some calculations before coming up uh, with this. And if this is so, then I mean, definitely the government has to look into this. That uh, how to rationalize the cost of training because what we get as an institute is two hundred and fifty thousand that Mohsin Chandna Saab uh, mentioned. So the fee that is paid to us is far less than an, an average student pays to IBA or or to LUMS. It's far less than that. But this, these must be the hidden costs, as you said, the 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 real estate, the salaries, and the entire structure. But this is a point to ponder definitely. I'll, I'll have a word with Hassan on this. Uh, what is the budget of NIMS right now? What is the budget of NIMS? I won't be able to give you a figure offhand, but uh, so we barely make, so we, we barely make both hands meet. I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. Another question, last question. I've got some other person who wants to ask too. I think I'll have to bring him in. Sorry. A very famous famous personality, Dr. Ikram al a lawyer, well-known lawyer. Dr. Sahib, tell Dr. former civil servant himself, but now a well-known lawyer. Dr. Saab, unfortunately, whenever they go for these higher courses, they call me and ask me, please uh, tell us uh, this subject is given to me of taxation. And mm -hmm. kindly, can you send me a few articles or your papers so that I can uh, write uh, the assignment given to me? And mm -hmm. it always uh, uh, quite surprising for me that you are in service and you even don't know the fundamental numbers and other things. So what they are doing in field, that was the uh, real question. And mm -hmm. uh, student from LAMS, he was not asking for the video conferencing, but he was mentioning was that if you don't go to the field, if you don't know where the Shalom market is and how many traders in Shalom markets make how much money and how much tax they pay and how much tax uh, we forego from uh, <clears throat> our elite. And if we collect uh, this number and if we uh, deduct this number, what will be the situation? This kind of practical knowledge they lack. And I would uh, like to um, just suggest uh, to the people who spoke very well today in uh, working in different training institutes that uh, we should have uh, field studies, we should uh, have uh, practical problem solving and not uh, just wasting time calling you and me there to speak, which we keep on doing. Uh, but uh, there is a need for uh, behavioral change and also uh, a learning process that is uh, problem solving and not grade oriented or just meant for promotions. That's are my uh, comments for today. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have to say anything to say on that? Yeah, I agree. I think he has only uh, sort of uh, uh, reiterated what we've been discussing that, uh, uh, you know, there should be more practical, there should be emphasis on practical training. Uh, in the last training conference, I think there was a consensus that there needs to be a case study uh, based 
research there was a proposal that you know different departments they should bring in live cases from their respective departments like nab or income tax or customs or you know some administrative issues and then develop that into a case study and um, try to learn some relevant lessons from that um, regarding his observation that somebody who's writing a research paper contacts him uh, for even getting the basic data i think that that runs in our veins that kind of laziness intellectual laziness that you know the, we, we just want um, uh, uh, something already cooked for ourselves instead of um, exerting ourselves that's probably you know one or two odd examples but we do try and you know make them work extensively wherever we can uh, dr ikram sahab's observation is valid in, on all accounts Mm -hmm. Dr. Sipali, uh, very briefly, can you tell us what is your objective in a senior civil servant, let's say a mid-career civil servant comes to you for training for six months, three months, whatever. What do you want that person to take away from your training? What is it that that person gets in that three, six months that they spend at your institute? Yes, thank you. Uh, actually, uh, let's say for an example, as I told you, our training programs are we, are, we develop, I mean, the, uh, the level wise, like for an example, for inductees and for another level and for different layers, different training programs. And when it's come to uh, on the job training, in service training. So let's say for the middle managers, let's say for the administrative service officials. So most of our topics will be focused more on policy implementation tasks. Because their service minute says they are basically, when it's come to that level, they are basically street level bureaucrats and they are basically policy implementers. For an example, take an example from one of the programs that I conduct for them because my background is, uh, I mean, the, let's say public policy. So for the inductees, my program, basically I design in introducing what is public policy what is the meaning and our ethics, values, and our concerns when it's come to a public policies? It's it's an overview. I'm taking an example from my programs. Mm -hmm. So for the middle level managers, they are basically policy implementers. So therefore, it's mainly on policy implementation. So like how to evaluate policies, how to evaluate programs. So how to evaluate existing case studies. So if a certain a particular work or a policy, if it is has if it has failed, so what are your alternative solutions? How do you bring the I mean the bottom-up approach when it's come to decision making? So basically policy implementation. So when it's come to the top level, like let's say the uh, one below the secretary level, like let's say class one level. So they are basically to facilitate policy making. So they, for them, uh, with them, I'll be discussing not more on policy implementation. 
So how, how to develop policy papers? How to, it's on policy analysis. Maybe, uh, I mean, the policy briefs, maybe on drafting cabinet papers. So these are the areas, these are the subjects included in the program. So it's, I always believe even for a five day, that has to be on hands-on exercise. So therefore I give them a chance to develop draft a policy paper within a short period of, it's not, I don't want them to complete. At least I don't want them to get involved so then they can get the, I mean, the, I mean, the, the help of the others to get it done. So it, how do I, so let's say on research methodology. So for the top level, they need to have a lot of like conceptual skills. So how to develop a model likewise. So therefore it's like, I mean, the level specific programs. So that's my, otherwise I know they reject. They are very smart in rejecting our work. If you don't give them something which is important for them during, I mean, the, in the, I mean, the day-to-day -day work. So the same thing, I, we don't discuss these things when it's come to our master's program, but we develop as a part of our master's program, developing a policy paper. That's, it takes three months. It's, we discuss a lot, theories and all, but for these people who are at class one level, I, we give them, I give them a format and I ask them to fill the format and to make it as much as they can during the period. Because I always don't believe in homework. I always say, I don't believe in homework because they have a lot of work at home. Plus they have in their office also, you know, we have to understand. I mean, they are, if they, if, if you ask them, to, I mean, if you bring the divisional level people, people who, so, I mean, they directly work with the community. They are very busy people. Even during, I mean, the training time, they are very busy. So if you don't give them a chance to get understand what, I mean, the, what is really needed for them, I mean, the, it will be a fail. So therefore, I'm of the view, give them whatever they need and to perform their jobs in a better way. So then only we can improve their performance relevant to their levels. So that's my personal lead. Hmm. Thank you very much. Over to you, sir. Very good, Ji. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I was just showing you something which is interesting. Let me show you again something very interesting. I showed you the Sri Lankan Ministry of um, a Tourism website, and we only see five documents there, which are very, very perfunctory. Same thing, I'll show you the website for Ministry of Commerce in Pakistan. And again, we see hardly, I mean, you know, here, this is all that they have. Uh, there are no real policies, MND work, etc. So I'm really wondering, um, where are we going? But in any case, we are running out of time. So if anybody wants any last words, Fahim, do you want any last words? Samina, baby, Dr. Samina, go ahead, Fahim. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, last words, I would just uh, say two things. Uh, like one is uh, 
for the entry exam uh, for the entry into the mcnc smc nnc uh, the entry should be uh, through entry examination uh, it should not be through a uh, seniority based uh, nominations uh, from the ministries and departments uh, like in our military uh, setup for the staff college for the war college you have to go for a very simple or uh, exam and you have to qualify for that uh, uh, course because it's a mandatory promotion course uh, one thing is that the second uh, as uh, rahat sahab also mentioned and i also mentioned in my presentation there is a disconnect between the training environment and work environment so we have to work on that nspp has to work on the establishment division has to work on that and there should be something you know uh, to reduce this disconnection or gap between the training environment and the work environment finally uh, i would urge nspp and other training institutes to work on your faculties please uh, i agree with madam uh, the criteria for induction in the faculty uh, in nspp is quite strict only very good people can come and join this uh, uh, prestigious institution but let me say that uh, uh, best of the best civil servants uh, hardly ever opt for training institutes uh, unlike madam samina and chandna sahab hardly ever in my six courses that name is labad i was after all the toppers to join name for like only for six months or a year but they refused so uh, nspp has to work uh, and other training institutes have to work on bringing in good faculty and also please do include uh, technocrats professionals uh, academicians from uh, uh, you know other universities to have a plan samina so, bibi last words uh, nspp reform kind of stuck in the gullet like unbuddling a water these two reforms are stuck nspp also was supposed to form a national school of public policy a university and that kind of got stuck nspp was supposed to consolidate things but then real estate got in the way nothing got consolidated so we got fragmentation again uh, would you comment on that in close there, there have been some structural changes doctor uh, uh, you see uh, national school of public uh, policy now has nims as constituent units but inhone uh, they have also introduced two new uh, sort of uh, some new uh, institutions also which look after so there's there's been this functional distribution of work within nspp so there is some movement in that direction of of uh, reforming nspp as an institution but as my last word what i want to say is that you know as a trainer the question that i want to ask myself or i do ask myself at the end of the day is whether i'm preparing these civil servants uh for to to grapple with the service delivery challenges for me civil uh, public service delivery is the centerpiece of governance and unless we equip them in terms of external capabilities and in terms of rightful behavioral changes for those challenges and for making them deliver their public service in a more effective and efficient way and and in a uh, in a competitive environment uh, we won't be able to we i can't really say that i can't really claim that i've done my job so uh, i just want to say that as a trainer it's not people think that maybe it's a parking place or people who don't get any uh, uh, posting anywhere else they come here but i tell you it's it's not an easy easy place to sit at because you you grapple with these questions every day you you're training 100 officers within a period of 2 3 months and 
and you have to ask yourself what is it that they'll be doing differently when they go back you ask yourself what is their motivation motivation level when they came and when they are leaving has there been any uplifting or not so uh, the 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 whole drive the whole the, the entire institution the faculty every day every minute of every day is driven towards that endeavor that you know public service delivery should become the centerpiece of our uh, civil services uh, and any suggestions any um, uh, proposals from the audience on or from your institution are always welcome there have been a lot of food for thought uh, especially regarding the cost of training uh, hasan khawar's empirical study uh, and some of the other observations of the audience i've taken a note of them and uh, we'll try and take them to the to our next policy level meeting thank you very much thank you folks i think we had a good discussion as usual and but unfortunately at the end of the discussions i get more and more depressed and i go and hit the tranquilizer so i'll just go and have a xanax um doctor you need a little bit of a dose of an op of optimism i do indeed why don't you why don't you come to karachi for a few days definitely love to do that as soon as covid is over i will i haven't been to karachi for a long time look the problem is unfortunately i think now we'll do a webinar or seminar maybe next webinar will be on what public service should be i think we really need a discussion on that what is public service is public service a civil servant trying to control my life is public service as i call pakistan these days a test a testistanistan today we are at testistanistan i spent 5 days getting attestations from different officers to prove that i exist that i am a human being that i actually exist that my brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters bizarre bizarre i've never done that anywhere in the world i've lived in five or six countries never done that even sri lanka doesn't go that far but anyway so this is this is the civil service that we have to keep going back and forth doing this nonsense this so the question really is what is is public service there attesting me is public service there interfering in my transactions is public service there telling me how to live is zone is 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 the role of the dg lda to tell me where i can put my bathroom this is a fact mcdonalds on jail road here in lahore was told by dg lda and the dc that you can't put your kitchen this way and bathroom this way it was a deal breaker until the governor got involved and killed it if you don't believe me ask shayad kardar he was the finance minister then and he was he told me the story laughing his head off this is the way we work so the question really is what is public service delivery is public service delivery telling mcdonald where to put your kitchen is public delivery telling me where i can go and what i can do is public delivery public service delivery telling me that hey i can't invest this i can invest in this i can't build a bathroom to the left of my bedroom or i can build it to the right of my bedroom so i will have a webinar on that but i think yeah, public service delivery is actually creating an enabling environment but it's a very good idea i really like this we'll idea a, that we'll we should have a, have a webinar on we'll collaborate with you and do that now the second thing is quite frankly i think training needs to be reimagined a lot just like education i'm not i don't honestly i'm not just telling you i tell my people all the time and i tell tarik banuri and hcc i think we really need to reimagine higher education we are too stuck in this brick and mortar model where pp students are coming to school i see no reason why students should come to university anymore in fact i having a running battle within pid should be called students or not so the issue is not about students issue is what should they do and i am having a running battle with my students forget the lectures we don't want lectures anymore we have to do something different and um, but i think unless we get out of somebody told me that hey you're putting me out of my comfort zone 
I don't like comfort zones. We have to think differently. We've spent 70 years in the comfort zone, but our comfort zone has been the emergency ward of the IMF. My colleagues in the IMF laugh at us. They say, you are a, you are a first tranche country. You're never going to go anywhere because you can't think differently. So I'm, all I'm trying to do is, guys, think differently. I know it's uncomfortable to ask tough questions, but it's our job to ask tough questions. We are not telling, selling you anything. We don't have any easy answers. But yes, I think we must all ask ourselves tough questions. We must all get uncomfortable for a while. And we must all reflect and think of innovative solutions. And of course, nobody's saying you change your model today. But unless we start thinking of uncomfortable solutions, we'll never change our model in 20 years. We have to think of uncomfortable solutions. We have to think of different ways of things. And then maybe 5, 10 years, 20 years down the road, we'll make a change. But all I will say in the end is India Office Library is full of my father's vintage of civil servants who used to write a lot, who used to do a lot of stuff. People today spend months, Aisha Jalal, etc., spend months out there researching, writing their books. Today, if I ask you, shall we make a Pakistan civil service library? How much research will we get? Will we be able to fill enough of a room with their reports and their commissions, etc.? I showed you just now two websites. There's nothing I can put in the library. I've been writing letters to our ministries. I sent another one today saying, please send me your research, your policies, because I want to store them in pile. I want to make a repository of all the work done in ministries. And you'd be surprised if nobody replies. So if we are training these people to write nothing, to do nothing, there is no policy papers, there's no white papers, there's no MND papers, there's nothing, then I think quite frankly, we are all failing. Not just the training institute, even the universities, we are all failing. And this is what I want to highlight. Let's all think differently. Let's all put our heads together. Let's have a debate, uncomfortable debates. I'm quite happy, happy uncomfortable, having uncomfortable debates. On Twitter, I'm having an uncomfortable debate with our students because our students say you're not changing fast enough. And I keep telling them you're not changing fast enough. So I'm happy with uncomfortable debates. And that's the whole point of these webinars. So thank you very much, folks. Inshallah, we will continue this journey. We will call you to another seminar on public service delivery soon. Thank you. All the best, Semina Bibi, Sipali, Fahim, Mohsin Chandana in absence. Thank you. Khuda Hafiz, all the best to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much.